Welcome to episode four of Wikipedia articles that should be movies. Uh, this is the podcast where we pick wacky, weird, zany, interesting Wikipedia articles and imagine how Hollywood or Bollywood or an indie filmmaker in Britain might turn them into a movie. Uh, my guest today joining us in a couple minutes will be uh, Nathan Coles. I'll tell you more about him when he comes on. But for now, let's read a little bit about Abul Abbas. So Abul Abbas, uh, this is around the start of the ninth century. Uh, so this is uh, Charlemagne's empire in, in France or what would become France. Uh, this is an elephant that's a gift to Charlemagne, the king of the Franks, uh, from the Abbasid Caliph Harun al-Rashid, uh, and he's given to he's given to Charlemagne as sort of a token of good faith of their new relationship. He travels uh, from Baghdad uh, all the way back, uh, probably through Africa, though we're not one hundred percent sure, uh, uh, through the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and and arrives around i believe 802 at the the empire's residence he went over the alps uh and arrives in aachen in 802 uh full-grown adult elephant not 100 percent clear what type of elephant i think for our purposes we can assume right now it's an african elephant uh I don't think we know a lot about uh, his life for eight years that he's in France, but he lives for eight years, uh, which is pretty amazing considering uh, they wouldn't have wouldn't have known much about taking care of an elephant. And obviously it's not the natural climate for an elephant. Uh, so lives for eight years, uh, dies uh, as Charlemagne's on his way to, to wage a war against the king of Denmark at the time. Um, and, and that's really all we know about uh, about Abu Abbas. He's brought back by a diplomat uh, by the name of Isaac the Jew, who went with two other diplomats uh, to, to sort of treat with the, the caliph on Charlemagne's orders. He's the only one that comes back. He brings with him this amazing large elephant, Abu Abbas, uh, who lives for eight years doing something in France and Germany with Charlemagne. And uh, and passes away on the way to war. Not clear if he's going to be a war elephant or if he's just there because uh, he's sort of Charlemagne's favorite pet. Uh, so that's really what you need to know about Abu Abbas. I'm going to bring on Nathan Coles. Now, Nathan, a uh, friend of mine from university, attended the College of Humanities program with me at Carleton. Uh, he is described as a raconteur. He is described as a social justice wizard. Uh, he's described as a secular humanist. Uh, uh, and I believe he's overeducated and underemployed. Nathan, did I get all of that correct? Oh, yes. That's that's about it. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Death to fascism. <laughs> so <laughs> he promised he would get that in, and he did. Early on, just <laughs> check that box. Gets the death to fascism in. That's 10 points. Uh, so you actually decided this was the article you wanted to, you wanted to talk about on uh, Wikipedia articles that should be moved. So why don't you tell me uh, what appealed to, to you about the Abu al-Bas story? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it's, it's set in uh, sort of Dark Ages, medieval Europe period, uh, which has always fascinated me. It's, it's uh, features some of the most uh, fascinating and important uh, characters in that time period. Charlemagne often called the father of Europe, the first Holy Roman emperor, uh, one of uh, really a fascinating figure, a, a man who 
united uh, tribes and territories of France, Germany, and Italy, and for the first time since the Roman Empire, and uh, established basically national borders that stay with us today, uh, 1300 years later. The article itself is kind of short and not all that uh, replete with information, but when you scratch the surface as I did, I think you find um, you know, the, the basis for a really interesting story about a really interesting time period. The idea that um, this is an example of a successful diplomatic mission between the Christian West and uh, the Islamic Caliphate as it existed at that time in the Middle East. And that the success of that diplomatic mission resulted in an elephant <laughs> in the court of Charlemagne. Like that's just that's just a, a an utterly it's a, it's it, it's an inherently hilarious image. Just to think and it's about something it, like out know. of legend, right? It's hard to believe this is a true. This you know I think this is fairly well attested that this is this happened. That but it's yeah it's like one of these fantastical stories you get uh, you know maybe. Uh, in, in the legends of, of King Arthur or something, maybe this wouldn't be out of place or would seem fitting there. It, it seems there's some juxtaposition between this medieval, you know, very dark ages court and Charlemagne starting to bring them out of that. And uh, the presence of this, probably the most exotic animal you could imagine at the time. I mean, this would be like a dragon showing up to the court. Thing about this is like the, getting back to the, specifically the gift of the elephant is like, is this a power move in the sense of, this we can give you these gifts that you've never even dreamed of. I mean, this is this is a this is a little token of our appreciation to give you this this amazing creature that you know with tusk and is massive and you know it, it's just or you know in to go I think it's in Thailand or Singapore where the white elephant our phrasing of you know the political white elephant was like a curse really it was a gift but it was it was so uh, arduous and so expensive to you know i love a simpsons reference it's like when they get the when they get the horse or when they get stampy the elephant it's yeah. so expensive to upkeep an animal like this and i would think especially in a place like you know charlemagne's empire where they don't even know anything about it and it, it's you know not its natural habitat so it's almost like a burden as much as it is like elephants would have yeah. been like a cool thing to see it's maybe not a great thing to own in Aachen in, in 805 yeah, I was I, I was waiting for the white elephant reference to come up because actually, um, oddly, at, at this moment, it's not in the Wikipedia article for Abu Abbas, but it is in the Wikipedia article for Isaac the Jew, who, who led Abu Abbas to Europe, uh, is a picture of Abu Abbas by, uh, uh, that dates back to the 11th century. And gosh darn it, if that elephant isn't white, but... Uh, now we should be very careful to distinguish the fact that the you know the concept of the white elephant as it exists in our culture is taken from Thailand and Southeast Asia and so, you know uh, and those uh, kingdoms where the white elephant was viewed symbolically as as a signal that the ruler was just and that's why it was a good gift that's why it was an honor to receive one it's a signal that you are a just ruler therefore you get a white elephant, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, it was also, yeah, they were tremendously expensive uh, and difficult creatures to keep, even in that region of the world where they are, you know, at home in terms of climate and, and vegetation. So 
one must imagine, like maybe it was a power move. Maybe it was a signal by Harun al-Rashid that, you know, I can, you know, I can show you the world. I can, I can show you things that you have no conception of in your backwater European uh, forests. Uh, Maybe it was a signal of like this elephant symbolizes me as a powerful ruler. Maybe it's a signal that this elephant represents our alliance, that it's strong, that it's hearty, that it's this big, powerful thing that will trample over. I mean, there's, there's, there's really no way to know because, as I said, we only have these two European records. And the Wikipedia article indicates that there is no record of this in the Islamic world. Like, yeah, it's right, no one right. bothered to... No one, but it's, it's not like the, uh, you know, in the caliphate, they didn't keep records. They absolutely kept right, records in the right. caliphate, but nobody there thought to write this down, which. Right. It wasn't. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's pretty signal, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now, like how little probably, a deal it was to one side. And yeah. Now elephants would have been less of a big deal to people in the caliphate. Um, but maybe that's also is a signal that this alliance even though it did benefit Harun al-Rashid to help him against the Byzantines, uh, maybe it uh, didn't quite mean as much to him as it did yeah, to Charlemagne. It, it feels like uh, he's putting Charlemagne up to be the sort of thorn in the side of uh, of the Abbasids. Like he doesn't really expect him to retake Spain or anything like this, although he tries and fails uh, to do so. But it's sort of like, you know, I'll make this alliance so you can sort of distract them on the side and and we can Mm -hmm. secure our borders. I mean, the thing that I'm curious about, I'm not sure if you've decided how you feel about this or not, but whether it was whether uh, Abu Abbas was being used as a war elephant, because certainly Europeans, I mean, Charlemagne would know about war elephants. He would know, you know, going back to Hannibal in in the Roman Empire, you know, he would know about you know, elephants can cross the Alps and people can ride on elephants and they can trample their enemies and you can throw spears on the top of them and do, do lots of fun stuff uh, with a war elephant. Uh, so I'm curious as to one, whether Harun attended that, you know, intended this as a, a war elephant. And then two, whether Charlemagne really was intending to use it as a war elephant. I have my doubts, certainly in the case of Charlemagne. Now Charlemagne was a highly educated man by the standards of his time, even though he wasn't, strictly speaking literate as we would define it um but he would have known to the extent it was possible to know at that time uh about you know roman history and about uh uh you know hannibal and those those famous stories he would have and alexander um who would have encountered uh who did encounter uh, elephants war elephants when he pressed into india um but i doubt it because you know there's there you need to be able to train an elephant for that it doesn't come naturally and that requires a very specific set of skills which would not have been present in charlemagne's court liam neeson was not there yeah i know yeah like liam neeson the elephant set let's let's (laughs) put a pin in that thought maybe (laughs) we'll cast him in our in our movie in the next in the second half of this podcast but uh yeah, that the, the skills required to train an elephant such that you can ride, like, it's it's hard enough to train a horse to ride into battle. Like, you really need to, um, like, it, I, I have a, one of my oldest and dearest friend trains horses for a living. And she 
is very good at her job, which requires a lot of skill just to, you know, train them for things like show jumping and dressage and, and things of that nature. To train them to be brave enough to ride into battle and not flip the hell out. Which is... is is incredibly difficult and with an elephant all the more so because they don't have thousands and thousands of years of domestication like horses right. have. And so the, the, I really don't think that anyone in Charlemagne would have known how to do that. Plus he only had one, one, right. one more need, elephant yeah. is impressive as like a standard bearer, but is not really right. a tactical advantage. And Charlemagne being the practical uh, man, he was, especially in terms of war and logistics, uh, I don't think he would have seen much value in it. Well, the thing that's like, yeah, the thing, the history of war elephants is inevitably the history of a stampede that, that crushes your own <laughs> troops. I mean, that that is almost in every story of war elephants. It, they get spooked at some point. Uh, Pyrrhus from the famous Pyrrhic victory thought it mm-hmm. would be a good idea to bring a bunch of elephants to to invade Italy. And and that's just what happened was they they turned around and ran over his own men. That was part of the Pyrrhic victory. But having said that about only one, what I think is interesting, if you are King Godfrey of Denmark and you're sort of screwing around and plundering Friesland or whatever he was doing, and th- and you're like, yeah, this is great. I'll steal a few things uh, here and there. We'll, we'll bop back to Denmark. It'll be fine. And one, you're like, oh, crap, Charlemagne's coming. That's scary enough. And if you saw this elephant, whether it was in battle or just sort of nearby, it would have a pretty awesome effect, I think, on on you and especially on your army. Yeah, the morale factor is something to consider, but that only lasts so long in battle before everyone is like, okay, wow, that's a big scary thing. But you know what it also is? A very easy target. Tell you what, Spearman, uh, everyone fire at that big giant animal thing that we've never seen before until it falls down, you know, like, yeah. Um, and I can't, uh, yeah, it, there's obviously like George R. R. Martin, uh, song of ice and fire with the dragons, like just the sheer, I've never seen one of these before, <laughs> but it's certainly dragons a lot more devastating than, uh, than elephants and um, elephants weren't given fire breathing. Unfortunately, that was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, what, one, one, one elephant, I mean, one elephant can cause a lot of damage, especially if you're on a field of battle where you're not equipped to deal with it. But they still have spears. They still have, you know, pikes and, and stuff like that to deal with horses and cavalry charges. They, right. you know, they, this is... Um, it's yeah, a pretty I big target. Have, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would have the most symbolic, you know, uh, right. power more than uh, being able to turn the tide. And again we come back to the fact that, you know, a war elephant is fantastic as long as you can keep it moving towards the enemy. But the minute you get it scared (laughs) and it turns around and flips out, then you suddenly as the owner of the elephant have the biggest problem. So, and they don't have, again, they don't have the people to train an elephant to, to be that brave. So I think my, my personal now historians, obviously free to disagree with either of us on anything that we say here, but my personal opinion, I think, uh, I think the most likely uh, thing that was true is that uh, this elephant was there as a pet, that it was a, it was a ceremonial thing. It was, it was a, it was a look at me. I have an elephant in, not in a military way, but in a, in a look at the exotic nature of my court kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're not picturing this maybe as a Liam Neeson trains an elephant film, 
how might you see it sort of shaking down? Because again, I mean, the thing is, like we've talked just about the story for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just an incredible story. And again, it, it always lends me to like this, like how hasn't someone plucked this little story from history and, and I know, right? made something know. more out of it, right? Well, I was thinking about it and, you know, there's so many different things you can scratch the surface of with this. You can get the social, sociopolitical elements. You can get the, you know, was it a war elephant or was it not? But what I kept coming back to is the image of an elephant in a European court as just an inherently interesting image. And the fact that there are certain, there are various humans along the way in this story who have had to form relation, a relationship with this elephant. And so that led me to think about this as, you know, a heartwarming family movie about, you know, water for elephants, like a man and his elephant story. You know, you've heard of a boy and his dog. I give you a man and his, (laughs) this is like war horse, but it's medieval elephant. Exactly. Exactly. It's, 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 you know, so, so we've got, I have two pitches and I'll give you two. I'll give them to you one after the other. So the first one, um, the starting point is the arrival of the elephant at Charlemagne's court. Our protagonist is Charlemagne. He has united the Franks and the Germans and the Lombards. He is the leader of the undisputed absolute ruler of the largest empire since Rome. In fact, he has been crowned the emperor of Rome by the Pope, whether he had a hand in doing that we don't yeah, yeah under sure. I think the pope was under a little bit of duress yeah. when he did that is my yeah 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 Se- separate yeah. separate issue separate, other than that uh, would hold up podcast. in a court of trial but yeah yeah but charlemagne has gotten everything he's ever wanted but maybe he's not happy maybe he's not fulfilled maybe being the ruler of the holy roman empire isn't everything he thought it was. Maybe he's a little depressed. Um, Then this elephant shows up in his court. The unexpected surprise result of a diplomatic venture that he made years ago. You know, he sent off these three guys. Only one returned. Yeah, we didn't really make that note that this was a long journey. It's not, mm -hmm. they didn't, they weren't on the Concord. Yeah, this is the ninth century. Journeys did take that long. I mean, you might forget that you did it. (laughs) Or certainly you wouldn't expect them to come back anymore, maybe. So, so. In, in this in this movie, I imagine this elephant shows up and Charlemagne is just just uh, charmed by it. And it's so different. It's this breath of fresh air in this court in Aachen. And um, maybe he befriends the elephant. Maybe he, you know, starts to have fun with the elephant. Maybe the well, elephant surely at a... first they have some sort of yeah, he's got, yeah there's like obstacles. maybe they have a bit of a cantankerous yeah, relationship yeah, yeah. at like, first. What, like the I'm imagining, what the heck is this thing? Yeah. I'm imagining he's sort of like a comedy scene where the elephant squirts him with water from its trunk yeah. or something like that. Or maybe elephant? the elephant farts. Yeah. And yeah. maybe the elephant passes gas at an inopportune moment in court, or you know, yeah. so you know, there's there's lots of elements here that are ripe for comedy, but eventually, you know, the 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 first few acts of this movie are this friendship developing between Charlemagne and the elephant, right? And this elephant brings meaning to Charlemagne's life that he uh, doesn't find with being the ruler of the most powerful nation in Europe. And he teaches, you know, 
we think of we we've we, you know if you study screenplays at all you know about want versus need you know characters protagonists in movies they start out they have a want by the end of the movie they've gotten what they need but not necessarily what they want what charlemagne wants in this movie that i envision is to be happy he wants to be fulfilled by being the ruler of the holy roman empire what he needs is a friend and is a big gets, elephant yeah what he gets is that friend in yeah as a big giant elephant in his it's a big giant it's like a yeah. it's like clifford the big red dog story exactly it is out. just like clifford the big red dog replete with all the uh <laughs> opportunities for slapstick comedy that that entails Gotta have you know it. i am I, I i i imagine like we could even we could have a cameo by einhard as like the guy who's working on he's looking at the architect's plans for one of charlemagne's big building projects in Aachen, and then uh the elephant stumbles past and his butt crashes into something and ruins the architect's work and einhard makes a funny face and oh comedy. yeah this um I, I, this yeah. movie would absolutely be made in the 90s by the way because 90s this is what was I'm like thinking. like this is what i kept <laughs> thinking is i kept coming back to 90s family movies made by disney or you know a similar such companies that are aimed at a broad audience they're broad comedies and so but i think maybe there's a twist i think maybe there's a tragic twist at the end of this movie or the you know in 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 the third at the beginning of the third act where maybe that's when the elephant dies unexpectedly and maybe he dies as a result of like the conniving of certain like uh uh unscrupulous advisors of Charlemagne. Oh, unscrupulous advisor like, is a very popular antagonist great antagonist i know court, right I'm, in I'm, any court yeah. setting yeah you yeah. i want like i want an uptight older gentleman who like does not appreciate the sort of looser feel to things that this he's like the concern he wants the things to stay yeah. how they were with no elephants yeah exactly right. this elephant is a bad influence on and he's an, and he's like representative of a changing time exactly exactly right and so so the elephant dies and charlemagne is devastated and but he has to figure out how that's that's his becoming master of two worlds at the end is mm. that he has to come to terms with the loss of this elephant and the fact that he has to take the lessons that he learned from Abul Abbas and incorporate them into his life and his personality. And of course we, we have the resolution of the mystery of the mystery of how the elephant died. The, the advisor gets caught and executed mm. or, or, or think that's, that's the second, that's the B plot, but the, the main, right. the story, the emotional journey that Charlemagne goes on is that he has learned to be a better person as a result of his experience, his relationship with, right. This he's learned more from Abu Abbas and then, you know, the elephants learn from him sort of thing. Exactly. Like he, exactly. Yeah, right. Right. I, and I'll you, call you get this, this heartwarming like... thing at the end where maybe he flashes back to, uh, you know, the, maybe one of the last scenes is maybe he flashes back to playing with the elephant in a court garden or something. Right. He's just reminiscing about the elephant. And we see that he's making like more just pronouncements at the end of the movie as opposed right. to at the beginning of the movie. He doesn't have the, learned. the Pope by like the, the scruff of the neck at yeah, the end. Yeah. He's a more. Yeah, this is this is the sad. This is like the 90s sad Charlemagne movie. It's mm-hmm. like a Doctor Doolittle, uh, George of the Jungle, like whatever Airbud, whatever they were doing in the nineties. This is the the this is pitch one. Yeah, yeah. So pitch one. Uh, do you want to 
talk about casting or do you want to move on to pitch two? Well, who, okay. Who do you put in uh, animal in it? There aren't, are there a lot of animal movies? I feel like, again, that was like this huge phase where it felt like every movie, I think a wacky sidekick that was a monkey or something. Uh, oh man. I'm thinking of that. Um, Matt LeBlanc, the one where he's the pitcher and he's got the monkey. Like there were just monkeys. Uh, Dunstan checks in was a great I, monkey film. M- my brothers and I, when we were like seven or eight, we loved Dunstan checks in. Okay, you we, know we would get man. it from Blockbuster all the time. There's a song that like uh, Jungle Boogie that in my head as a kid was always sung to the like it wasn't jungle boogie it was like dunston checks in like that was my i thought that i thought it was the theme song for the film dunston checks in but uh yeah like that that again this was all happening in the 90s or that somebody in hollywood they were just like we need an animal every movie needs to have some wacky animal in it yeah so i mean obviously you you get an animal to be the animal like you can't do this with cgi you have uh, to have a real what's animal. what's his name uh who's Gollum? the guy who does every cgi Andy circus you want Andy Andy circus to be the elephant <laughs> well i no, think it's I like contractually he has to be if there's a cgi thing in a movie andy circus even if he's directing the film himself has to play the cgi character i suppose so and you know in you know we care a lot more about you know uh avoiding animal cruelty than perhaps we did in the 1990s so that <laughs> yeah, might be yeah, our only yeah. option we care about um, a lot of more about everything than we did in the 1990s that was we a pretty carefree do, time and we are right too um yeah. but uh still i can't you know in order to get that true authentic feel i think we need a real elephant and mm, you can tra- you elephant. can certainly like elephants are very smart you can train them uh to do anything you would need anything you would require of them in this movie i think um, so you got to get a real animal. Okay, you got a real you know, the elephant. Key, the key roles in this movie, uh, as far as I'm concerned, are the human roles. But the key <laughs> key roles are you, you got to cast Charlemagne right, and you got to get a really good villain. You need the uptight advisor, right? To be the Jafar right. so the, character, yeah, the vizier. Yeah. yeah. So the, these are the two roles that I focused on. Now, now for Charlemagne, you need someone who is you know late 30s to middle aged you need someone who can be serious who can uh depict like cruelty but who can also shift on a dime and do heartwarming comedy and i also looked up uh because we do have in this same uh contemporary account by einhardt we have a description of what charlemagne looked like um so if you'll indulge me, I'll quote him here that, that uh, Einhard described Charlemagne as large and strong of lofty stature, though not disproportionately tall. His height is well known to have been seven times the length of his foot. The upper part of his head was round, his eyes very large and animated, nose a little long, hair fair, and face laughing and merry. Thus his appearance was always stately and dignified, whether he was standing or sitting, although his neck was thick and somewhat short and his belly rather prominent. But the symmetry of the rest of his body concealed these defects. His gait was firm, his whole carriage manly, and his voice clear. But not so strong as his size led one to expect. So, end quote. It's like a gentle giant. Yeah, gentle giant. We need a tall actor who is able to radiate dignity, but is also able to laugh at themselves and do comedy because they got to be able to shift like this is the classic scrooge transformation we need them to be able to shift into 
being a kind-hearted soul at the end of the movie as a result of the lessons they've learned from this elephant. I think maybe, you know, when I read this description, I thought of maybe a Jude Law type, but he's not nearly as good Jude at... Law. Yeah, he's not nearly... He's not as good at, at you know, comedy, though, although I, I don't think it's outside of his abilities. He's not really done comedy much. He was I in the think, film The Holiday, but that wasn't yeah. like really a, that was a romantic. It's not like a slapstick or a, yeah. like, yeah. Now, but he does have a very he has a very good smile. So I think like he can. Yeah, I don't know. how he tall can, Is he tall? He doesn't strike me as tall. Now, British people been, never do. He's been very cagey about his actual height. So it's Which is a common, tra- yeah, common trait of mm-hmm. actors. Yeah. Now, uh, another person I thought of was uh, looking into the Marvel universe for, for help. Uh, we could bring in maybe a Benedict Cumberbatch as Charlemagne. He's certainly uh, tall enough. And right. uh, he, he's able to do serious and uh, cruel, but he's also able to bring the funny if he wants to. He's an amazing. I, yeah, I think yeah. he's great. He's a great actor. Yeah, and he is funny. And I've seen him off like his off-camera stuff, interviews and such. He has like a natural comedic. Like he's funny. He's a funny person. Mm-hmm. Good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Leading one of the leaders of like this ginger revolution that I always say Hollywood and pop culture is going through. But that's maybe that's a topic for another time. Yeah, people say he's not a ginger, but he has auburn hair. That means red. Anyway. <laughs> yeah so some somebody like that and maybe you know if we want to throw in some like uh beefcake shots for the ladies we could maybe do chris hamsworth in this role he can also bring the funny mm. he's not so good he wouldn't be as good in the beginning of the movie because it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to see him as this kind of uh serious cruel ruler but uh he would be really see, good I... at the end it's funny that you mentioned the Marvel Universe because one, it's hard to find an actor who doesn't touch on the Marvel Universe, so ubiquitous yeah. now. But two, that a lot of these guys now are so associated with these roles. It will be interesting to see. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch has the advantage of, of having been around and done lots of different, like, you know, Sherlock and just singular type roles, but like, will they be able to disassociate from, you know, Chris Evans, Captain America, and, you know, and Thor? And, well, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I, I, I rule out Chris Evans right away because he is so like, he's great, but he is so associated with Steve Rogers, perfect human that it's really, uh, you know, as good a job as he did playing an absolute uh, garbage human in knives out. It's still very difficult to see him as Charlemagne is Charlemagne sort of a captain America type. Kind of, yeah. It's like this I mean, affable, yeah. yeah. Nationalistic so maybe I should revise my stance on that. Guy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how. Like he's now he's quite a bit shorter uh, than these other guys that we've talked about. So right. who knows? I now, find the way so, they measured yeah. Charlemagne, by the way, to be amazing. Seven yeah. times the the length of his foot. Okay, so someone, this is this is something I gotta I gotta bring up. Yeah, so um, th- we have his tomb in Aachen, right? In uh. In uh, a trio of scholars, uh, this is from an article on medievalists.net, a trio of scholars uh, from Switzerland, Germany, and Austria were uh, in, uh, in uh, 2010 uh, in service of an article that they wrote in the journal Economics and Human Biology. They were allowed access to Charlemagne's tomb, and they actually measured his uh, tibia, one of the bones in his leg. 
and we're able to use that to approximate his height. It turns out he's between, he was at the time, he, he was when he was alive, between 5'10 and 6'4. And that's pretty tall for back then, especially. Oh, definitely. The average, the average yeah, man huge. in Europe at that time was five six. So Charlemagne oh, would have yeah, towered, towered over these people. He would have been. Which very one? I impressive. just, I did the math. I think I'm about seven times the size of my foot. But then again, that's not really about height. That's like about proportion. Because when he gives it a description, is, yeah. he doesn't tell us how big his feet are. So, we know that he had a bit of a belly, but that he was otherwise rather slight. So mm. like he wasn't, he wasn't. Oh, he had, he had like a dad man. bod. Yeah. 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 So, proto, proto dad bod. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I actually did some math and I figured out that if his, if he was between 5'10 and 6'4", and his foot really was one seventh of his height, then were he alive today, Charlemagne would wear size nine and a half shoes. Yeah. Which isn't big, but again, at that time, yeah would have been big i assume i don't know what the but there you the... go if you were ever uh, curious charlemagne shoe size he uh <laughs> nine and a half nine and a half in u.s size, I've, that's I definitely say. a fetish on some dark corner of the internet Char- <laughs> like dead rulers feet size but not, that's that's I, there's probably yeah. a couple other podcasts about that right anyway back to casting this uh this movie pitch so the other key role is the uptight advisor the villain and i've got two people in mind for this both of whom i draw from the same 90s comedies that inspired this um do you remember jonathan hyde oh that sounds familiar he played uh did did you do you remember the richie rich movie that macaulay culkin started in the 90s Uh, yeah oh yeah jonathan hyde played cadbury the butler oh yeah do you remember the jumanji movie that robin williams starred in yes jonathan hyde played Oh, he's the father, father right. and the hunter in that movie. Oh, right. He's the, like Jonathan the, the Afrikaner. Is, yeah. yeah. Jonathan Hyde has played a lot, even though he's Australian by birth, he has played a lot of uptight British characters in exactly these sorts of comedies from our childhood. And I think he um, he's still around. He's still acting. And I think he would be brilliant as this and- kind of uptight advisor who has I a think, problem with Abu Abbas, the elephant. Right. And he's untainted by any connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They'd be like a new discovery for most people who the only movie they've seen for the last 12 years have been movies from the Marvel Cinematic yes. Universe. I, I, I grew up on uh, the comedies where Jonathan Hyde played butlers and, and the like. And Jumanji, Jumanji's an incredible and, you know, movie. The, he, he need, that man needs more work. He needs more appreciation yeah. as an actor yeah. because yeah. back then and and now he he was and is uh, a really he's really in Titanic great too I think yes he plays a high ranking official on the yeah boat, yeah, I think. yeah yeah wow he <laughs> yeah, had a I think real he might run play, there yeah he might play the owner of the company I don't know uh, but he's one yeah. of the guys who is yeah that's probably where most people have seen him if they weren't you know nineties kids wow like yeah he had a really good stretch yeah. That that you know, I I have great appreciation for him, and I want to I want him. Okay, back. good good my, name, my, Jonathan Hyde. Now my 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 other option comes from the you know uh, lots of things, but it's it's uh, quite fortunately brought up. Dunstan checks in because I think Rupert Everett is another oh, Everett. key candidate wow. for this. Uh, Where has he guy. been? He hasn't. Where has he been? Yes. Yeah. Indeed, like another Robert guy Everett. who we saw quite a lot in the 90s. 
yes. uh, playing the a foppish villain. Uh, and sometimes and, like a hero. Like I think sometimes he's like the love interest. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he, I don't know, my best friend's wedding, isn't he? He's he like was in my best interest. friend's wedding. He was in Shakespeare in Love. He was in, you know, a lot, a lot of yeah. stuff. He was yeah, in Inspector Gadget in 1999 as Dr. Claw. I don't know if you saw that. That was I don't uh, remember seeing Matthew that. Broderick as Inspector Gadget. Um, but <laughs> real missed opportunity there. I know, I know. He played Dr. Claw. That was, oh boy, that was a bad oh, movie. Yeah, Midsummer anyway, Night's has... Dream. That's the one I'm remembering. Yeah, Rupert mm-hmm. Everett's Oberon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So once again, uh, this is a guy who has built a career on on playing, you know, these sort of uptight, foppish villains. And I think that he is a really good candidate for, for uh, this advisor. By the way, I know who the advisor will be because we know who another member of of Charlemagne's court is. I forgot to mention this. Alcuin of York was basically oh, an Englishman. Uh, yes, an Englishman. Exactly. So these guys fit perfectly. Oh. Um, to see was basically Charlemagne's education advisor because mm. Charlemagne drew, drew these you know talented people the from all over the right. place, even outside of his empire. He wanted he recruited talent. So uh, Alcuin of York is basically the only other named member of Charlemagne's court that we know of. He is the guy. He is who I would the only, put I in think, this role. The only problem of having an English villain and in this 90s style movie is I think there's like Mel Gibson has to direct any anti-English movie that was created in the 90s. Like Braveheart and a Patriot where he just, there's all these accusations that he just hates English people. So unfortunately well, we would have to attach Mel. Mel Gibson <laughs> hates a lot of folks. Uh, yes, Mel Gibson is not a lot of hate him. Mel, Mel Gibson, uh, you know, he he he. Ironically, he's trouble. Discriminate he's... in the people that he hates. He, he right. is an equal opportunity. Hate. Yes, universal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. That, that's, oh, a, that's a villainous Englishman. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So sad Charlemagne, wacky nineties uh friendship story buddy animal buddy sort of film mm-hmm. what's what's the other idea you got second second pitch similar movie also fundamentally about the relationship between a man and his elephant dial the clock back forget charlemagne as a protagonist i want the story of isaac i want the story of isaac the jew i want the story of the journey to europe and end uh, of the movie. In fact, the yeah. final scene of the movie is them right. arriving in Charlemagne's court. It's like one the of those delivery, yeah, yeah, like like where you're trying to get to this end point. But the Isaac story, I think, is one. He's called Isaac the Jew. It's, it's like his singular notable thing about him is is this othering of him as a Jewish as a Jewish person. And he goes with these two French guys, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the only one who lives. So there's just so much interesting, like the journey to Baghdad. Then he, to Baghdad he, is interesting, but I he's the only one who lives. Yeah. He picks up this elephant, and they're like, "All right, see you later. <laughs> you got to get him." So back that's where Germany. I think, yeah, yeah, that's where I think the really interesting story yeah. lies. Is the start of the movie is the Abbasid court. Uh, Isaac the Jew is there. He's about to leave. He secured this alliance for his master finally after years of work, during which two of his friends died. He is presented with this elephant by Harun al-Rashid, who gets a chance to appear in this movie, unlike in my previous pitch. 
now he's basically screwed. He has to go back to Germany with this elephant. He has to keep this elephant alive or else the alliance is finished. So he has to find a way to successfully get this yeah, elephant back to Europe. Angle. This yeah. is the medieval European version of Operation Dumbo Drop. Right. Good. This, another another wacky 90s animal Another movie. wacky 90s comedy specifically about delivering an elephant to a place that, you know, is very difficult to deliver an elephant to. Um, so he sets out and we follow Isaac and the elephant over the course of this journey through the Middle East, through Egypt, through Africa. Um, this is also an opportunity for a much more diverse cast in this pitch than I think in the previous one, because right. Isaac is basically the only white person in the movie until the very, very, very end. Certainly the only one with a speaking role. And over the course of this journey, we have uh, various, you know, antics occur, adventures, difficulties, hardships. They lose each other. They find each other. You know, Isaac is put in various situations where he thinks the elephant is lost or he thinks the elephant has died or been captured or stolen, but they get back together. And there's lots of still plenty of opportunity for loads and loads of slapstick comedy as they make their way through, you know, the bazaars and marketplaces of the Abbasid Caliphate. And they become friends. They bond along the way. And want versus need again for this protagonist isaac's want at the beginning is keep this elephant alive get he wants to keep right. the elephant like alive. how the heck am i gonna do this i have he wants to, to get the elephant yeah. it the elephant is the MacGuffin, as far as isaac is concerned at the beginning of this story right. he has to he doesn't care about the elephant per se he just cares about getting the elephant to charlemagne in order to secure this alliance and his own future because if this all goes south then he's dead it's got Indeed. it's got a sort of yeah. um, Saving Private Ryan sort of like kind of. Sacrifice. But like, I'm not imagining it being nearly that serious. Like, no, like, no, maybe you know. more or like the Jungle Book. Like they're delivering, mm-hmm. they have to deliver Mowgli through the all these obstacles. Or there's lots of like. Well, it's fundamentally a buddy, a buddy journey. Yeah, like there's a, a buddy lot of road cop trip movies, movies like that. Like, yeah. uh, where it's a road trip. You movie. have to deliver a prisoner to some place by some or the three ten to Yuma. It's got yeah. that sort of like obstacle in the way, and you become friends along the way. Sort of yeah, that but, didn't but happen yeah, like, ten to Yuma. I, but. Yeah, I, I expected more. I anticipated it being more of like a road trip movie where the, the right. two people involved are Isaac and this elephant, and they bond along the way. His want is securing the alliance by getting the elephant back. His need is a friend. And he finds a friend in the elephant who he didn't realize that, you know, brings out of him, you know, rids him of his cynicism by the end of the movie and rids him of his, you know, pure pragmatism and helps him. You know, as I said, this is similar to my first pitch in the in the lessons learned and the journeys of the protagonist. It helps him become a better person by learning to love life a little more, take life a little less seriously and appreciate the wonder and the beauty of the world around him as exemplified by this creature who no one in Europe has ever seen before. Now, and, do we, you know, yeah. Do we know what happens to Isaac, the Jew? Do we like after this? No, we know nothing. Cause we I think there's nothing. this interesting thing where he's like, obviously like this other person in the court and his idea is if I deliver this elephant, I'll ascend 
you know, up the up the courtier uh, ladder sort of thing. But on the journey, he learns that's not what's important in life. Mm-hmm. What's important is accepting your, I don't know, whatever he learned, whatever people learn in movies. I certainly haven't learned it. And then when he gets there, he delivers the elephant. He's like, here's your elephant. See you later. Like, I don't care about the stuff anymore. But then he'd have to abandon the elephant, I guess, which is sort of. No, no, I think I think yeah. the climax of the movie is when they get to the court. And maybe maybe Charlemagne in this version is like, great job. You 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 know what you're getting, buddy? You're getting a promotion. I'm going to give you all the power and wealth that you could ever want. Certainly way more than you could possibly expect as a Jew in a dark age Christian kingdom. I am going to, you know, shower you with responsibility and power. <laughs> but you have to leave the elephant. You have to go to some province, some far flung duchy of this Holy Roman empire and leave the elephant behind. And maybe he's has to decide, well, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Because, you know, I started out this journey cynically wanting to deliver this elephant to you in order to attain political power. But I've discovered that, you know, there's something a lot more important that I've learned along the way. And I want to stay here in court or wherever the elephant goes, I want to go because we're friends and, We've taught each other some important lessons along the way. Right. Which I think is the same message as Dunstan checks in. <laughs> it well may be. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Um, no. There was something about cat burglars. Anyway. Um, How much do you think? There's just in one it. thing that comes up a lot when, because mostly on this podcast, we talk about like historical articles because they just lend themselves so much to to storytelling in the film like how much do you think you can change or how much would you be i guess willing to change history like does uh the elephant live longer is that up or is it like since it's well, written yeah. that he died in a 10 you can't tell a story that that doesn't happen in i think you got to serve the story first i think you can you know change some historical facts to uh, accommodate telling a good story because that's fundamentally when you're making right, movie, the details you can yeah. massage. Yeah. You know, and with this pitch um, you know, we end at the arrival in Charlemagne's court. So we don't really need to touch on how long the elephant lived. Like the, whatever the denouement, yeah. the denouement is Isaac and the elephant uh, playing together happily in a, in a court garden in, in Aachen or something like that. Right. We don't need to, we could maybe have a bit of text flash on the screen after the fate to black saying the elephant lived eight more years, but we don't have to like, that's, no. that's not, that's not important to the story, which is about how the elephant changes Isaac over the course of their journey together. So, but I think, okay. you know, Good so tell. that's in answer to your question, I think you can change a fair amount in service to the story, but you know what? I don't think we really need to with this because oh, in this version. Yeah. Yeah. With, with this version, there's not, a whole lot of details in terms of we we only have a vague idea of their approximate route and we don't know anything that happened to them along the way so that's i mean again to touch on this like lack of detail in this story we don't know the route and then more than that we're not even a hundred percent sure on the type of elephant like there's still some thought it could be an albino elephant a white elephant there's even a thought could be an indian elephant sort of an african elephant because again their empire so yeah it is there's a lot of room there which is great for storytelling Mm -hmm. yeah and you know there's so much room in terms of the events of the journey all you really need is they leave Harun al-Rashid's court at the start of the movie and they arrive at Charlemagne's court at the end 
everything in between is basically up to the screenwriter. Uh, if, if they want to put in, you know, an action scene where they're fleeing bandits or they're, you know, crashing through a huge, right. you know, bazaar in the middle of Cairo or something. Um, you like know, Fast or, and the Furious medieval Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, any everything from that to like, you know, we could have a romance subplot if we want, f- you know, fabricate a character, a love interest for Isaac. Hey, fa- hell, fabricate <laughs> love, a love interest, interest for, for the, elephant. the elephant. What about an um, elephant love story? Yeah. <laughs> he meets the only other elephant in mainland Europe that, that just wasn't in the historical record, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> you're basically you know, free to do whatever you want to tell a good story there with that one. The key, I think, is, you know, you've just, you've got to have that, that bonding relationship between a man and his elephant over the course of the journey. And the elephant rids Isaac of his cynicism by the end of the journey. And they come to appreciate one another. That's the core. That's the emotional core of the movie. What? So both of these stories involve us learning. What is our, like, what do you see as the main lesson humans can learn from an elephant? Because there's not this obvious, I don't think, like like lots of animals, there's this very obvious, like the wisdom or the strength or the perseverance or whatever. Like what is the main takeaway from an elephant? Well, in both of these, like different people have different reactions to elephants, I suppose. But in both of these uh, stories, I think the lesson that the elephant teaches us is that the world is uh, more beautiful than we might uh, it's expect in our you know narrow viewpoint that we often you know the the blinders that we put on ourselves in our daily grind we you know and and in our in our depression and in our 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 distaste and anger with the world and the misfortune that we suffer and the tragedies that we suffer narrows our view of the beauty of the world and makes it difficult for us to see and the elephant reminds us that there is always uh beauty in the world and the capacity for joy and love and forming relationships with other creatures and that's what charlemagne learns in the first pitch that i gave you it's what isaac learns in the second pitch it 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 is about ridding ourselves of cynicism and teaching learning uh learning being taught by the elephant and learning ourselves how to look at the world with new eyes uh, and how to appreciate it more for the diverse and beautiful, wonderful, joyful place that it is. Yeah. And I think that like specific to this elephant existing in Europe, you know, a place that shouldn't exist uh, at a time where it would have been incredibly difficult to even get it there, even honestly, to even transport a dead elephant there, let alone a live one. Like there's this idea of one, look at it from the angle of like thriving in a place where maybe you shouldn't, or all the odds are against you or, or whatever. Uh, but there's this other angle too, of like, there's still capacity for like surprise and yes, you know, fantastical things to come into your life out of the blue or something like this. Right. So yeah, I think there's a lot. And I think that is one thing maybe that's different now is we don't think of like animals, maybe in general, like just our access to them has changed, but just how fantastical they are and how strange they are. And, and it's the, the idea that an elephant, (laughs) a creature as strange as that could even exist uh, is still amazing. Like it's still awe inspiring. Yeah. Like, well, we live in a, in a world where even if we never see one in real life, we have access to images 
of all the most exotic animals. And that um, is a great boon of our modern age, but it is also, uh, a, it's a blessing and a curse because it also removes the sense of awe that our ancestors would have had because we have so much more exposure to these things. They become much more commonplace, even if we live in places where we will never see these creatures ever in our lives, barring, you know, the opportunity, which only a privileged few have to travel to the places where they actually live. And I think, you know, the reason that my mind went to these two pitches and, and settled on these two movies that fundamentally have the same emotional core is that this Wikipedia article, brief as it is, is an example for all of us now today of how the most surprising things can jostle us out of our cynicism. The idea of a elephant in Charlemagne's court that no one there would have ever seen. That is an example to us of how there is so much in the world that is always able to surprise you and bring you joy and show you beauty, even when you don't expect it. And this is a lesson that we can take from this real historical story, even if it's never made into a movie, that every once in a while, even in the depths of despair, even the, the def- depths of cynicism, sometimes an elephant shows up at Charlemagne's court right. and shifts your entire perspective. And we should be open to that. We should, we should be open to that possibility and be willing and able to appreciate it when it comes around. Yeah, I and again, it's just when you flesh these ideas out, like there's just so much opportunity there, right? For for stories, for analogies, for themes. So, got two pitches. We need an actor for the second one, so we've got some good uh, listener engagement. The only different version of this movie would have been some that I would have pitched was some sort of animal liberation, <laughs> you know, menag- down with menageries, down with zoos, down with fascism sort of angle. Uh, but I think that's hard to pull off. So I think uh, we'll leave it to the listeners maybe to let us know which of Nathan's pitches is better. I like that you brought diversity into the second one because that so far uh, we've been, we've been missing on this podcast. So uh, which is and good in real life. And in real life, it's a good call out for me. If you have a Wikipedia article you like and you want to talk about, definitely reach out to me. Uh, you can reach uh, this podcast at Wikipedia article movies at uh, gmail.com. Uh, this was episode four. I want to thank Nathan uh, for joining, for bringing uh, the Abu Abbas story to us, which is, I forgot to mention, this was like one of my fun facts was that his name means father of a boss, which just leads you to um, a sequel film here because maybe a boss comes back to finally crush those Danes or whatever Charlemagne was up to when, when a boss dies. But uh, yeah. Well, but of course a boss is the uh, source of the uh, whole name of the dynasty and the caliphate, Abbasid caliphate. So uh Yes, yeah, so maybe the that's a clue the father the of the attitude. dynasty. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a clue as to what was really going on in the minds of Haroon and his advisors when they decided to pull this stunt. <laughs> yeah, well, this was episode four of Wikipedia articles that should be movies. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, definitely stay tuned. I, we still have the Mad Jack Churchill episode to make and release, so that'll probably be next episode five. But uh, again, thanks, Nathan. Thanks for joining us.
it's been an absolute pleasure, Greg. Uh, have me back whenever you like. Death to fascism. Death to fascism. <laughs>